and we enter, re-enter the Gospel of Mark this morning with a question, as I did for Nathan earlier, and um, you can't answer sin, okay? That means you have to think, because we got all our Sunday school answers to figure this out, and I think there's probably multiple answers to this question once you get past the word sin, because, okay, let's put that here. What is our biggest problem? Pride, okay. What about something that we do or don't do? Okay, self, obedience, all of these things are kind of circling. I love when I don't get the answer. This is great. This is why we're here. I think that kind of 1A, right below sin, and all of these things kind of relate to that, and, and I get think it gets to the point where we're, we are right here. 1A on our problems is communication. Because you have a speaker, you have a hearer, and whether or not there's a listener, you don't know, right? And sometimes when we get going on something, we think we are saying something, but the question is, is it being communicated? And I've actually heard one of the, the buzzwords for preachers and um, and really, that's, it's, well, all it is is a buzzword because it keeps coming back to this word in the English language at least. But um, one of the, the, the popular phrases for somebody to, uh, who, who proclaims the word of God is a communicator. And, and really, um, it's, a, it's a good explanation for what happens because what you want to do is to make sure the message gets through, right? Here, we have a question asked, and the answer they get is not necessarily what they would have expected, which, frankly, Jesus was really good at that. I mean, one of the reasons we have the scripture is because he has a completely different answer to the problem than we had been able to come up with ourselves. If he didn't, why would we have this book? So when we come back to the Gospel of Mark, I, I've been listening to messages I preached two and a half years ago, and again, that's a very humbling thing to do because you realize, you know, you are indeed human, and how well did you actually communicate to that, or how well did I communicate that? And as we come to this place now, we, we come back from where we've been uh, celebrating the last several weeks as we look at the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, we were looking at the Beatitudes, which were early in Jesus' ministry, as found in the Gospel of Matthew. But now, we actually find Jesus during his last week. And we're returning here, and Jesus is telling the, the disciples some things that are difficult to understand. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler. They're almost as difficult to understand today as they were then. 
except that we have Jesus. And we have the completed work of redemption by his hand. And so when we look at things as the scriptures lay them out, that must always be our perspective. What did God do about this issue? What is going to happen? And, and the fact is, is you will probably have as many, if not more, questions about the topic that Jesus talks about here than, than you started with. But one of my favorite preachers, uh, Alistair Begg, has a, a phrase for moments like this. And it, it's to keep the main things as the plain things and the plain things as the main things. There are going to be some things in here that are not plain, but they're also, frankly, not the most important aspects of this passage. The main thing is Jesus authors it all. So let's look at uh, Mark chapter 13, and I appreciate your prayers as we get there because uh, this is a heavy passage, and even heavier will be next week, so pray in advance, please. Let's stand as we look at the first 13 verses, and, and honestly, we could probably spend more than just one Sunday here, but I'm going to give it a shot. As he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, will these things be, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. They will be led astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to the councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. When they be, bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand at, at what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And, the brother, and brother will be delivered brother upon death, and father his child, and children will rise against his parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Lord, heavy words, a clear warning, help us to understand your truth in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, any questions? I'm going to tell you right now, I've been studying this for weeks now because I was going to go back here and then we ended up going through the Beatitudes. I have plenty of questions. And part of that is because, and the main reason is because, we have not yet seen the fulfillment of all of these things. But also, we have seen the fulfillment of most of these things. And that, my friends, brings us to the question. 
What are we going to do with all of this? Where are we in history? Well, one of the principles we need to come through with prophecy and the things we need to understand about how the Old Testament relates to the New Testament and even into the future beyond the completion of the canon, the list of books that we have as, uh, as it completed in the book of Revelation, is that Scripture often has dual fulfillment. Scripture, we see it in the Old Testament and the prophecies surrounding Christ. If you look in Isaiah chapter 7, for instance, this is a pretty common one, we see that there's a prophecy about Emmanuel, about the child born to a virgin. And in that day, they saw it fulfilled in this guy named Hezekiah. But it's also ultimately filled in Matthew chapter 1 with this guy who's talking right now, Jesus. And we also see, uh, we, we see several of these things along the way, but that's, that's, that's one, and I could dig back into those, but we'd be here a long time. And so uh, let's think about what we read here, because really we end up seeing a lot of these things fulfilled along the way. But yet we know that we are still here. So what do we do with that? How do we relate to it? So in verse 1, he says, as he came out of the temple, remember they're in the temple going through all these things. He's, he's confronting the, the leaders of the day and their hypocrisy uh, throughout these things. The gospel of Mark is considered as many as a source for the other two gospels, uh, uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke. John, completely different, written much later, about 30 years later than these were. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all three address these basic issues and this basic teaching. And each one comes at the, say, the perspective of a different reporter calling out the news. You know, we have four or five different news stations in Colorado Springs that bring us the local news, and they'll have a reporter at each scene. And you might get different details from them, but they're all telling you what happened. That's what's happening here a lot of the ways. Uh, Mark is uh, most believe and, and, and likely telling from the perspective of Peter and uh, telling it for his mission along the way. So Peter is one of the guys they're talking about. And he says, as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples, we don't know which one, said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And that's true. As you see the, the temple described in Solomon's day first, we see it destroyed in 586 B.C., but we see Herod's temple as they walk out of here. It's, it's a beautiful place. And it's there for a reason. It is the center of their religion. This is the place where, the, where God dwelled in the Holy of Holies, where the priests brought the sacrifice. They needed to return to the temple in order for the sacrifices to be fulfilled as they were. So this place that they were going, man, these guys are like, man, this place is amazing. You know, in their day, they said it didn't look as good as it did in Solomon's day, but it was pretty cool. And so they're, they're thinking, yeah, Jesus, check this out. This is why you're here, to renew worship in this place. And Jesus immediately knocks them on their ear and says, do you see these great buildings? They will, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. That is a confusing response to the previous statement, Right? They're thinking, this place is great. And Jesus says, it ain't that great. But what he's doing is he's, he's telling them, uh, first of all, physically what's going to happen. 
for the sake of the eternal fulfillment. Because really, our worship has nothing to do with a location. It has everything to do, as we're going to come to see later, especially in the New Testament, but he alludes to it further in this passage, has to do with who we are. And more importantly than that, it has to do with whose we are. Because unless you know the one true God, it is not truly worship. And so it has everything to do beyond that into a relationship with this Creator. And Jesus knows he is the answer to this, and he's going to continue to talk about this. But along the way, he tosses some things out. So they leave the temple. They're walking out. He confuses them on the way out. Have you ever had a, somebody, well, I kind of did that to Caitlin this week, honestly. Uh, we were driving downtown to do something, and uh, the car hadn't cooled off yet. It was hot, and we made jokes about it's not cool, and we I started to get, I don't even know that she asked. I probably asked for her. I do that a lot. Um, uh, the we start, I started explaining why we could get cool air through air conditioners, and it all turned into a, a lecture on environmentalism. Um, and Caitlin goes, so, so the freons and the ozones at the end? And she goes, so what about the ozones? Because I really got her confused. I dropped the knowledge, and she wasn't ready for it all. Here's what happens, is that Jesus drops the knowledge... They're not really ready for it. I'm going to turn my page because that's what the next part is. So he starts talking to them out on the Mount of Olives. This was a place where he commonly went. It was a place of prayer for him, a place of solitude, a place of protection. And he's got four friends with him. You know, the big three, Peter, James, and John. But then remember, Andrew is Peter's brother. Andrew is actually the guy who brought Peter to Christ. Where would the church today be without a guy like Andrew? We need to be about, and this is a side point here, we need to be about bringing people to God. Because Andrew heard this guy talking, and he goes and gets his brother, and Jesus says, I'm changing your name from Simon to Peter, because, you know, we, we, we can chase that rabbit there. But anyway, he, he's with these four, and, and one of the funny things about reading commentaries is that they're written by very smart guys, who use words that you go, why did you even bother using that word? The word he used to describe these four, for some reason, was the quaternion. And I just tell you that because I thought it was ridiculous. You know, we, but that, that's also a problem, is that we tend to like to spout what we know and the big words that we know, when really people just need to know who Jesus is. We don't need to worry about all these big details on what we would call those things here. There are things that should be explained along the way, but there's no reason to start t tossing names at something that are going to be confusing anyway when we start doing that. Peter, Andrew, James, and John asked him privately. So they, they get through the 12, and these four ask him, tell us when these things will be. You remember what you're talking about back here, Jesus? When all the... the, the the stones would be turned over, and all these problems were going to happen. Because that's what the human brain does, right? We, we, we get our brains caught up in, into the bad stuff. I need to be ready for this. And Jesus says, yeah, you do need to be ready for this. 
tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Again, a strange answer to their question. Right? He wants them to make sure their priorities are in the right place before he starts explaining all of these things. He says, guys, keep your eyes focused on the Lord, on me. I'm going to get this figured out for you. But here's what's going to happen. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will be led, and they will lead many astray. How many times in history do we hear stories of some great political figure that's supposed to come and rescue people and fix all the problems? Do they? Generally, they create more. You may have a solution at the moment, but then everything gets blown out, and we got a bigger mess left behind. And what happens with the church in that? The church, because we keep our eyes set on Jesus, we, we come back to the simplicity of the gospel. God loves us. He wants us to, to be in relationship with him. So he sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. And then he rose when he was killed unjustly. And he brings us life and the promise of eternity through that. Christ's blood is the linchpin of history. Because without that, we have not the forgiveness of sin. And so that's really what we come down to here is Jesus, in the midst of all of this, because we see it happening very quickly, Jesus fulfills what he came to do. And so he warns them, his closest friends, that there are going to be people coming saying things that will not fulfill what they came to say they came to do. That means that they are false Christs. They are false messiahs. They are not the anointed one. But Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Many will come in my name. That he would be the next coming, right? Or that they would be the next coming. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Now, that was real at that moment, about 33 A.D., give or take a couple of years on our calendar. And it was true in 70 A.D. when we actually saw the Romans destroy Jerusalem and the temple. And it was true throughout the Middle Ages. I mean, one of the fun things about, uh, about looking at history is what happened in all the wars. War is only fun when you read about it in the past. It's hell going through it. It's awful. But we see these wars happen all along the way. So we actually end up seeing, again, a dual fulfillment. Because at once there will be a time at the completion of history that all of these things are happening. But they're also happening all along the way. Is anybody confused yet? Nation, this must take place. The, 
end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. So, bad times are coming. They are. Bad times can be here. You can go through some things. The 20th century was not a pretty period of history. Two world wars. The wars to end all wars. And we're still here. We have this cold war. And, you know, it's, it's a miracle that we didn't see more happen throughout all of that, honestly. Because, I mean, I was born during the Cold War. Most of you, many of you at least in here, lived through majority of it. You were always ready, right? There's a couple of places around town that still have that nuclear fallout shelter place. And again, we saw that as a fulfillment of this. But guess what? We're still here. And no matter where we are in life, we are going through bad things. And there will be wars and there will be rumors of wars. But friends, it can always on this earth get worse than what it is right now. And honestly, in America, whatever your political persuasion is, left, right, in between, further one way, further the other way, whatever, I don't care. Because Jesus is the one who fulfills all of it no matter what. And so we need to trust him. And so when we, we, we face all of these things, he warns us for a reason. He doesn't warn us so that we get obsessed with it. He warns us so that we're ready for it. Because there's a whole lot of people along the way that get just wrapped up that this is the end time thing, and this is the end time thing, this has got to be the this has got to be the it. And then it just keeps going. Anybody remember December uh, 21st, 2012? I can't say I remember the day uh, all my own, but it was, it was a day that the world was supposed to end. You remember why? Because of the Mayans. Because for some reason, they quit writing. And I remember all of these things leading up to that time. And guess what? They were still almost 10 years later, nine, almost 9 years later at least, over eight years later, here we still are. God owns the timeline. And it's what he is here to do. And there's going to be a lot of people who wonder what's going to happen, when's going to happen. The fact is, is God calls us to be one thing along the way, ready. Ready for it. Where does he say that? Verse 9. But be on your guard. They will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. That is the line we need to remember in all of this. God has given his believers, his followers, a task. And that is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done to fulfill this history. And that is the fulfillment of history, is the proclamation of the gospel to all the nations. And again, kind of a dual fulfillment kind of thing. The, the Apostle Paul, and there's speculation also in the book of Acts when we see uh, the, the Great Commission, where does it say it starts in Jerusalem, goes to uh, Samaria, uh, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth? The speculation was that the ends of the earth was actually a place in Spain. 
Then somebody got on a boat, and they kept going. And about a year and a half, almost two years ago now, I got on a plane and flew to Spain. And guess what they're still doing in Europe? Proclaiming the gospel. That's what this is all about, see. We get lost, and we get scared, and we get concerned, and Jesus is saying, don't get lost in all of this stuff. Our task is to proclaim the good news, to tell others about Jesus Christ. Don't worry about that moment because I have it taken care of. And it won't be easy. Why? Because we're in a war with the power, prince and powers of the earth. It is a spiritual war that we're in. The devil does not want people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. It's his job to distract us from our mission. And one of the ways he'll do it is to get us wrapped up in whatever political or worldwide circumstances that we're in, that we forget about what we're here for. We are here to live out what Jesus commanded us to do. Go to Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. I just said it in, the, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. To proclaim the good news until his return. We'll face trials, verse 11, and they bring you to trial to, do, to deliver you over. This is an actual trial, right? Not just something that we're enduring. This is a courtroom. They will deliver you over. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. God defends his cause. This is his work. Why did he choose to do it this way? Because he is God. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father is child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. This is tragic, what we see happening. But ultimately, it's a picture of what's been happening throughout history. The betrayal of man against himself, mankind against ourselves, and the problem of sin. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Now, I'm, I'm going to come back to this because it actually relates to what we talked about last week when, when Jesus talked about persecution. There's an important phrase in there, for his name's sake. Guys, we will face trials in this world simply because we are broken people, broken by sin. And I will face trials just because I am me. And I am a sinner. When we face our sufferings in life, we must weigh them in perspective of the scriptures. Why are we suffering? And friends, if we suffer on behalf of the name of Jesus, that's what our calling is, first of all. Second of all, it's not something to brag about. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do, and we had a Bible study lesson this morning about the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to do what the Spirit guides us to do. What does the Spirit do? It points us to the Lord points us to Jesus. So when we face these trials, and God forbid you would be brought to this point, but Jesus said it can happen, and it has happened in history. I've seen the statues throughout the Protestant Reformation. I saw them in Europe, in England, where people died for their faith. 
places where it happens. God reminds us of his truth that we come in the name of Jesus. I'm not saying that that's going to be a fun thing, but it is a call to eternity. And friends, I don't know about you, but I I realize more and more all the time, this world is not going to last forever. And my life is not going to last forever. And unless the Lord returns before my last breath, I'm going to have to face that moment. It's not an easy place to be. But at that judgment seat before Christ, what are we going to say? There's one phrase that is necessary. Jesus is Lord. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Lots of theological controversy about that particular statement. What does he mean by that? It means that the person who sticks to the end is going to be saved. That's what it says. That's a plain thing and a main thing right there. (laughs) Right? Trust him. He gives us a personal responsibility. We have a choice. We have volition for a reason. Follow him. Trust him. All of these trials and all of these struggles are going to happen. They happened in their day. They've happened throughout history. They'll happen again until his return. There will be an ultimate day of fulfillment. I don't know when that day will be. I have a feeling it's going to be a lot harder than it is right now. Because, you know, how did we suffer this past year? They told us to sit on our, on, our, on our rear ends and watch TV. I tell you what, that was suffering. Stay in my nice climate-controlled home to not get sick? That's not suffering, guys. It's frustrating, yes. That's not suffering. There will come a day, and there are places around the world where it happens now, where we will have to state the name of Christ at the point of our lives. The question is, will you be willing to do it? Jesus knew that this day is coming, and he came and did it for you. That's the praise here. And so these questions, just think about what's going through Peter and James and John and Andrew in their minds. He said, wait, that's not the question we asked, (laughs) right? We easily get tripped up in what are all the wars and all these things along the way. Here's verse 10 and verse 13. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And the one who endures to the end will be saved. Those, to me, are the two main plain things out of this passage. I'm not going to be able to understand all of these things. I don't know exactly the calendar date that it's going to happen. The chances are, if I were to predict it, I'm going to be wrong. Because if we look at Matthew chapter 24, I think I actually even have the verse in there. What does it say? I have it up there? Matthew chapter 24? 36. 24, 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. I want to encourage you by making this statement. 
don't try to do God's job for him. He's given us what he needs us to do. That is to make disciples and be faithful to the end. Are we willing to see through these trials and trust him in us? Let's pray. Our Lord, you are good and you are faithful. I don't know that last day and that last hour, but I know that you promise that you are with us. And you call us to endure. 